morning. My name's Kevin. Uh, I'm one of the pastor elders here, and it is a joy to be with you guys this morning. I almost feel like there's no need to share a message. Um, and I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I also just, like, when I read Scripture, what we just did is what the church is called to do. We're called as a priesthood of all believers to come together and testify of who our God is. And you guys have done that, and so I just am so grateful. As one of the pastors here, I just want to say, man, it just makes my heart leap to hear us share together and to declare the reality of who God is in the moment and time in which we live. And I'm also grateful that we get the opportunity to sit under God's word together. So let us then go to John 18 as we continue to journey toward the cross together, starting in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Wink, wink, just trust us, Pilate. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Well, this morning we are going to kind of speedily go through this text together as best we can. But we're going to have three main moves. We have Pilate and the Jews in a public space. We have Pilate and Jesus in a private space. And then we have Pilate, Jesus, Barabbas, and the Jews in a public space. You might have already been able to tell, perhaps by the way I was reading, that this passage is actually filled with lots of tensions around authority. We also have tensions of kingdoms. We have uh, last week, and by the way, what my dad was referencing about the message last week, there was something about it. God's finger was on not just the message, the entire time that we were teaching. But if you get the opportunity, go back, make sure and take a listen. 
As last week, did, Eric did a phenomenal job kind of basically sharing about a, a third of what's happening here is you basically have the kingdom of the religious leaders or uh, what I like that Eric really helped remind and open my eyes about is, is the mafia-like religious leaders, the, 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 the chief priests, Annas and Caiaphas, and this mob-like crime family that's operating to try and keep power in the status quo the way it is, who is trying to manipulate things so that Jesus would be executed. We have this power that is working, this group or this kingdom with a small K, perhaps. And now in our passage, we have Rome being introduced by Pilate. Pilate, obviously, as he shared, he's not a Jew. He represents Rome. In the eyes of all listeners, he is, in theory, representative of Rome, the kingdom of Rome. Rome is known as the most powerful kingdom in the world at this time. So we have these kingdoms that are kind of clashing. And even at the beginning section, oh, sorry, yeah, we're here. As we have Pilate and the Jews talking in the outside courts, you can almost feel this back and forth. You can almost feel this back and forth between the kind of the kingdom of the Jews and the kingdom of Rome going back and forth of what to do with Jesus. We have these authority structures represented here. And we've got this issue where the trial's already taken place between the Jewish kingdom, with, between the Jewish leaders, and they've decided, even though it wasn't a biblical trial, it wasn't a fair trial, there were zero witnesses, they decided they knew what they wanted to do with him, and so they decide to take him over to Rome, or they take him to Pilate, in order that Pilate and Rome might actually crucify him, might execute him. There's a number of things that are happening here. We have Pilate, go, he goes outside, he meets them in the outside space because the, the Jews are even trying to control some of this dialogue. I don't know if you guys ever watched like an Office episode where Michael Scott's trying to like control like who's got the most authority in the conversation. Like he puts somebody in a lower seat and then he like pretends like he can't hear. He's always trying to assert dominance in the conversation and in the interaction. And honestly, this is what's happening here. The Jews want Pilate to come to them. If he comes to them, then they have the upper hand. They're trying to both manipulate this situation because they both want to be seen as powerful. They both want to be seen as having authority. And the Jews are like, we can't come into your place because we will defile ourselves and not be able to eat a meal. I don't know if any of you sense some irony here, but they're trying to kill somebody and they're worried about staying clean so they can eat a meal. This strange, and it's twisted. We've got to see within John the theme of light and darkness. There is a heavy darkness, and it's not just among the Gentiles. It's among the religious leaders. There is something rotten to the core. Some of the useful information here is that it is the time of Passover. It is the most sacred time for Jews because what are they remembering? What happened at Passover? The Exodus. So it's a time where they remember and they celebrate how God delivered them from a unlawful king and brought them into eventually into the promised land. So again, the irony's thick, right? 
They are wanting to deal with Jesus quickly so they can get onto their Passover feast that celebrates how God had delivered them when they don't actually realize that the one who delivered them is the one who is right in front of them. This interaction is, to us, might feel so strange, and it is strange. It's supposed to feel strange. What accusation do you bring? The Jews don't even give an answer. Well, we wouldn't bring him to you if he didn't do evil things. No, what did he do? Evil things. Okay, sounds good enough to kill. It's actually not supposed to make sense to us, just so you know. Because what do we know that Jesus says about authority in his own life? Who has the authority to take it? God himself. Jesus himself is the one who is going to have the right to lay down his life. No one has the authority to take it from him, but he alone lays it down. You see, the kingdom of the Jews and the kingdom of Rome are trying to kind of battle back and forth for the authority to do this. And in reality, Jesus himself is the one. There's not even a formal charge. We don't have the authority to put somebody to death. Jews have put a lot of people to death, and how did they do it? What was their form of execution? Stoning. How is Jesus going to die? Which is whose form of execution? Romans. Which is why at the end of this first section of the Jews and Pilate, what does our narrator John tell us? This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In which Jesus in Matthew 20, 18 through 19 says, See, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, which we talked about last week, Right? And then what will happen? And, and they will condemn him to death, but they will deliver him where? To the Gentiles. To be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. The reason why I'm, I'm sharing all of this, because on, on the human plane, there's so much of this that doesn't make sense. If the Jews wanted to get rid of Jesus, they would have just stoned him. That's their form of execution. And really, in some ways, they could have because Jesus was committing blasphemy if, it wasn't, if he wasn't God. He is saying that he's God throughout his ministry. They could have picked up stones and killed him. And that would have made sense, perhaps, for Jesus to say that's the way he's going to die. And yet, now this, this Rome character is coming in. But Jesus hasn't upset any Romans. In fact, he's just continued to upset religious leaders because he's even cared for Romans or Roman centurions and those who are outside of the kingdom of the Jews. He hasn't flustered the Romans. The Romans don't even see him as a threat yet. Strange that he would say this is the means in which he's going to die. Which what I want us to see in all of this is that God himself had committed from eternity past the plan in which salvation would come through the willing sacrifice and substitute of his son Jesus Christ on the cross for us. 
we've got these kingdoms at war. And Jesus is in the background. Reminding, and as we'll see here in just a second, establishing that his kingdom is not like the rest. Okay, so we had, G- we had Pilate and the Jews. Now we have Jesus and Pilate in verses 33 through 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, I am, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And then Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to you, said, you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate says, what is truth? So now here, Pilate and Jesus have a private conversation. I would say that this would be like the worst trial of all time, but I think the Jewish leaders gave Jesus the worst trial of all time. This one's pretty close. There's no witnesses present again. It's just Jesus and Pilate going back and forth, and a lot of this weight is being put on Pilate. And just, I'm going quickly here. The background behind Pilate is actually we, outside of this account, we don't know a whole lot about him. Most people speculate that this is a position that he's put in. He's really, really far from home. He doesn't really want to be here. He wants to put on in his time like any deployment and then get back to a better space where he can be promoted. So he wants things to be the status quo. He wants to ruffle as little feathers as possible. He wants to put in his time and then get promoted and go back. Some people even speculate that he was from as far away as like uh, Scotland, actually, is one of the things I read this week, which I was like, whoa fascinating. He's like, we can't prove any of that, but some people speculate. Great. Okay. All that to say, this is not Pilate's home. Pilate is on deployment. He doesn't really want to be here, and he's irritated. You can hear his irritation with the Jews. He doesn't like the Jewish people. He views them as less than. He's a part of the strongest regime that has existed so far in the point of history, as far as they knew. And so here he is, and he's engaging with Jesus. And he comes right out, and he asks, so you a king? Which is fascinating. Jesus hasn't been known as, this isn't like a title that Jesus has yet. He didn't really refer to himself as, as king yet. It's not something that we see many people calling Jesus up to this point. And so how would Pilate even know to ask a question like this? Did anything recent happen, like in the last week in this narrative, that if some scuttlebutt got back to to Pilate, that he might be led with this question? Anybody think of what could have happened? Triumphal entry, that's right. Where people shout what? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So Pilate asks this question. We really don't know, is this a genuine question? Is this a cheeky question? I've got to think, as Pilate understands what kings of that world were like, he actually is genuinely curious. Not like in a salvific way, because he doesn't have a concept really of salvation at this moment. But is this guy a king? 
Because I'm trying to make my way up in this world. And I know being friends of a king is a good deal. So let's figure it out. Are you king of the Jews? And now what's so funny is here's the guy who in many ways should seem as though he's holding the life of Jesus in his hand. The normal person would probably be terrified of this person and be trying to give them any sort of answer that they're looking for. And instead, Jesus, who is the accused, now begins to interrogate the one who's asking him questions. That's gutsy. Right? The one on trial begins to ask a few questions of his own. And again, if you read into, if, as you read this, you can actually feel, I think you can feel Pilate starting to get flustered. Do you say this on your own accord or did others say it to you? You'd almost think if this was in with the old mafia crime boss, this is where the other dude standing next to Jesus would have like punched him in the face. You don't talk to him like that. And it's like, he, he's, am I a Jew? You could ask me this question. Your own stinking nation is the one that's trying to kill you. They, they delivered you to me. Again, you feel like this defensiveness. Who do you think you are going back and forth? What have you done? You must have done something. Maybe they were right. You've done evil things in general that's worth being killed for. And Jesus comes in and he says something very important. And again, remember, we've got these kingdom dynamics that are being presented to us by the author. We've got, again, I'm using the word kingdom loosely here, but you, in essence, have the kingdom of the Jews or the religious leaders, and you've got the kingdom of Rome represented here in, in our passage. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world world. Maybe helpful for us to clarify this a bit because this could actually lead to some unhealthy practices or even eschatology depending on what you view of the kingdom of God. Because some people might say my kingdom's not from this world or my kingdom's not of this world therefore it's not for this world. That's not what Jesus is implying. What he's talking about is not a locale but an origin. My kingdom does not originate from this world, but it is for this world. The kingdom of God does not find its root from this world, which is why Jesus in his all-important prayer starts us out praying what? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we can take a passage like this and, and, and it can almost be extrapolated in such a way that says our goal is to get out there and to go like far high, high in the heavens and, and get to the place where the kingdom of God is. And really what Jesus' prayer to his people from the beginning with his disciples has been no, the prayer is not that we would all someday get up there and go to that kingdom. It's that, no, the kingdom of God through the coming of Jesus has now been inaugurated here on earth, and our prayer is that it would come in full. In all of this, Jesus never denies his 
kingliness. He doesn't necessarily affirm it either. I guess he does when he talks about his kingdom because you can't have a kingdom without a king. If you do, it's just dumb. Thank you. Wow, it worked. So I guess in theory, he's, he is saying that he is king, but he, again, he's not saying it directly, which would also be frustrating to Pilate. But he very clearly articulates his kingdom's not like Rome. It's not like these religious leaders. My kingdom's different. If it were just like these, what would have taken place? War. Not only would I have let that dude's ear, Malchus, like just hang down, like I would have given Peter a bigger sword so he could do one chop and like all seven of their heads like in some movie. Sorry, we have kids present. All right, thanks, Graham. (laughs) But Jesus says, no, that's not what my kingdom's like. I don't rise to power by stomping on people. I don't rise to power uh, by destroying others. That's not how I rise. I rise by going down, which isn't just at the cross. It started with incarnation. Whereas the author lets us know that he took upon flesh, John 1, 14, and dwelt among us. kingdom's not from the world, but it is for the world. And it's not like Rome, and it's not like these Jewish leaders who should have known. But he goes on. And again, I love, I, I love Pilate's response. So you are a king. <laughs> <laughs> and you can, I just feel like we could see Pilate's mind just spinning. So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm king. But for this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate responds, what is truth? And the problem with Pilate's question, it's, it's not a what, it's a who. Because John 14, 6 tells us, I am, Jesus speaking, ego me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. For this purpose I have come. We just talked about, if we go back to John 1, we're going to see in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word had always been with God. Nothing had been created that hadn't been created through the Word. No one has ever seen God. But the Son, the Word, has made Him known. He has revealed Him to us. For this purpose I have come, not so that we could have some like cool like existential idea of what truth is, but that so that we might know who God is. So what is the truth? Yes, it is Jesus, but it's not just Jesus, it's also the things he said, it's also the things he proclaimed. But I believe ultimately, the truth is Jesus revealing who God is and what God is like. 
And I think at the core, especially in John, ultimately, that God is so willing or so loving that what? What was that? He gave his only son, our favorite Bible verse, right? For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son to do what? To do what? To die, ultimately. For our sins, so that whoever might believe in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. So what is his purpose? To reveal to the world what God is like. The love he has for him, and not just in words, but in action. And who is of the truth? It's everyone who hears his voice, who responds to the truth of who the revealed Jesus is. Is there any other passage in John 10 that comes to mind when you think about hearing his voice? Oh, I said John 10. Oh, sorry. John 10, 10. Good job. You can, John 10, 10 is, or John 10 is, there's themes that cover it throughout John altogether and John 10 by itself, but here there's quite a few. As Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd and the sheep, they hear and know his voice. The other thing that's fascinating in, in, in this section is, is, is who, I love the who is of the truth. It says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Just real quick, for God so loved what? So what's everyone and the world? Everyone, right? All people. I wonder if Jesus didn't affirm Pilate's claim, are you king of the Jews? Not because it was wrong altogether, but just because it was incomplete. You see, Jesus isn't king of the Jews. He's king of the world. He's king of all creation. Pilate isn't wrong. He's just not right yet. (laughs) And this is one of the reasons why both Rome and Israel is in this dynamic clash right here because they are both going to be involved in sending Jesus to the cross, which doesn't make just Israel or the Jews responsible for Jesus going to the cross, but for who? The world. Which brings us to the final scene. Pilate, the Jews, Jesus, and Barabbas. Pilate comes out. This is so we went from public, private, public again. He comes back out to where the Jews are waiting. I find no guilt in this man. This is fascinating to me because the religious leaders who have all of these Old Testament prophecies that's talking about who Jesus is going to be or what the Messiah is going to look like, and they're sitting there ready to condemn, and here's this guy who knows nothing. He's like, I don't know really much of anything, but I know that he's not guilty and deserving of death. I find no guilt in him. And yet there's this crowd that's probably been stirred up and manipulated by this crime mafia family called the chief priests, and who are also blinded by darkness. 
And Pilate's trying to give some sort of way out. Again, his goal is to keep the status quo. If he releases Jesus, everybody's going to get ticked off. He can't just, his job is to rule over these people. And if they are upset, eventually Rome is going to be upset with him. He doesn't want that to happen. So he wants to keep everybody okay. All you Enneagram nines out there, you're like, oh, thanks, Pilate. That's a peacemaker, if that wasn't a reference for anybody else. And so he offers a suggestion. During the time of Passover, we're allowed to release a criminal. And so here, I'm going to put up somebody from you. And I have to believe that Pilate's motivation is they are for sure going to take Jesus over this known criminal. And what's fascinating, he puts it in front of the people. The people can't even say the name of Jesus. They won't even refer to him. Barabbas gets his name in there twice. Jesus doesn't even get his name in here. Oh, no, no, no. Not that man. Not that one. Give us Barabbas. Interesting, some of the... We don't know anything about Barabbas except for what? Anybody know where else a robber is mentioned? John 10 and on the cross. Back to John 10. For the robber comes in to do what? Steal kill and destroy you see the people choose the wrong shepherd they have the good shepherd right in front of them and instead they willingly say let's take the robber who actually <laughs> is a known criminal who has stealed and who robs We'll take him back to be our people. One of the other fascinating parts about Barabbas is his actual name. In Hebrew, Bar means son, and Abba means what? So his name is son of the father. So we have two sons of the father being presented And they say, hey, we're not even going to name that one. Give us Barabbas. Give us the known criminal. And in this, we begin to see the radical nature of the grace of God. For Barabbas, who is convicted, who is guilty, is an enemy is actually going to be physically set free. And Jesus is going to be penalized, executed in his stead. And friends, we are Barabbas. We're running out of time, so we could go more. But just as Barabbas is a criminal, an enemy, a sinner, and in need of one to rescue him, so too are we. And in this, 
God wants you to know through this passage, it wasn't the Jews who ended up putting Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the Gentiles who ended up putting him on the cross. That God himself willingly offers himself forward. He says, I will go on your behalf. I will go. So as we get ready to close, worship team, come on up. I do want us to recognize that the wrong son of the father, I mean, sort of the right one was chosen. Jesus was chosen because he needed to go to the cross. But the people, they chose the robber. They chose the one that leads to death. They chose the one that doesn't have their best interests in mind. And I think... Even though if I can take a little liberty here, I do think today we are regularly placed with the question of which shepherd are we to follow? Which shepherd are we going to go after? And you have the option to cling to the good shepherd, to abide in the vine, or to chase after another shepherd, whether it's an actual person or an idol or whatever it might be, who ultimately will lead to destruction. And hopefully for us as followers of Jesus, God would open our eyes to make sure that we choose Jesus over and over again. Because we too are like Barabbas, but because of Jesus, first or John 1.12 is now true that to as many as received him, who believed in his name, he gives the right to now become children of God or sons and daughters of the Father. We needed Jesus to go as our substitute, and he goes willingly. His kingdom is not like this world. His kingdom is not like any in this world. It is a different origin, but it is for this world. So that those might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in his name, we might find life.